1 Samuel 14, verse 1, it says, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah. With him were about 600 men, among him, um, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. So he's a priest. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, verse 6, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Jonathan demonstrates a lot of courage in his action that morning. And with the courage, he mixes faith. He understood that, John, that uh, salvation from the enemy comes more from trusting in what God is capable of doing and not so much human strength. However, there's something I want you to be aware of. That this scene in 1 Samuel 14 takes place shortly after a terribly awkward situation in chapter 13. In chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, verse 5, it says, The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sands of the seashore. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks and in the pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. Verse 8, he waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. So Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up burnt offerings. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Verse 11. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, When I saw that the men were scattering, and that you did not come at the set time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compare, compelled to 
offer the burnt offering. Verse 13, you've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I'm not sure if Jonathan witnessed the awkward interaction between Saul, his father, and Samuel that day. I would expect that he had at least heard about it. He had heard what happened. And there's no question that Saul was in the wrong, disobeying Samuel, disregarding Samuel's position, and he himself performing the sacrifice. But what is interesting is Jonathan's reaction. Now, nobody likes to be reprimanded. Nobody likes to be scolded, disciplined, rebuked. I know my wife doesn't like it. And I'm sure Saul didn't like it either. Okay? At the very least, it must have been a great source of embarrassment for Saul and Jonathan to be reprimanded by Samuel. And have you ever noticed sometimes that when someone is disciplined that the family members of that one that just got rebuked they get all sulky and angry that their brother, their mother, their father, their sister was reprimanded. doesn't matter if they were wrong or not. They're mad because they got scolded. They got reprimanded. And now they can't work with the whatever club, the church, anymore because their loved one got reprimanded. Did you ever notice? Not Jonathan, which I believe says a lot for his character. Jonathan did not let the failures nor the rebuking of his father deter him from the task at hand. <clears throat> Chapter 14, verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost, those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor-bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. Now you talk about an admir admirable character. Jonathan, I can understand, is committed to the cause. His father is the king, after all. So you might expect that the king's son be ready to do great things. But the commitment of the armor bearer is something to behold. I am with you heart and soul, he tells Jonathan. I admire his faith and his trust. But the commitment of this young man is far beyond the expected. And the poor guy doesn't even get his name in the paper the next morning. He's just put down as the armor bearer. Like it or not, 
we are called by God to be the other guy. The one that doesn't necessarily get his name in the paper the next morning. What we do in the name of Jesus, we do to lift him up. Not for self-exaltation. If you don't believe me, check out Matthew 6. First one. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue, synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. So that's it then. We're called by God to lift him up with no recognition for all the things we do for him. I didn't say we'd never get recognized. What I did say is don't do the things in God's name to gain the admiration of men. I think God wants it that way to keep us humble and to maintain integrity. What we do in God's name, after all, is recognized with whom it really counts. Malachi <clears throat> chapter 3, verse 16. Then they <clears throat> that fear the Lord spake often to one another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. God is not going to forget. If the armor bearer felt that what he did should be governed by man's recognition, then the events at the top of the cliff that morning may have gone a little differently for them. The day may have ended less favorably for the Hebrews if the armor bearer decided that he'd had it with Jonathan, getting all men's praise, and he got none. When they reached the top of the precipice, decided not to throw Jonathan the sword when he called for it but rather told Jonathan, you want the sword? You come get it yourself. Have you ever done something extraordinary only to be ignored when recognition was due? How'd that make you feel? Like you want to run right out and do even more? Our purpose for doing something should not be for man's recognition. As followers of God, the things we do, we do for a higher level of recognition. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. What you do, work, with it with all your, work at it with all your heart. As working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. If our motivation is for the recognition of men, and get all wound up in the rewards of men, 
we may miss out on God's blessing. Christ advises us to decide whether we want God's recognition or man's. Because if we seek man's recognition, it could cause us to miss God's rewards. And you don't want to miss out on God's rewards. Because I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them that love him. You don't want to miss out on that, folks. If you're working for man's recognition, be prepared to discover that it's not fairly given. Some people get recognition that they don't deserve, and some who deserve it never get it. Also, you'll notice that earthly recognition is unreliable. One day you have it, the next day it's gone. Earthly rewards just don't last very long. The admiration is quickly forgotten. As hard as we may work to get earthly recognition and rewards, we'll always find them to be less than satisfying. However, God's rewards are eternal. Colossians 3 tells us we'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And according to Matthew 25, 20, 23, well done, good and faithful servant, will be the words that greet us as we enter eternity. God's recognition is forever and is fairly distributed. It just makes sense to work for heavenly recognition. If you're killing yourself for earthly rewards, you're probably frustrated and maybe just a little bit angry. Working just to receive the rewards of people could also have adverse effects on us and on the quality of our works. Since we are not always fairly rewarded by people and don't get the recognition we think we deserve, it can easily cause us to give up and do just enough to get by without giving it our best. We could get to the point where we feel that since no one ever seems to appreciate us, we just get along by doing the minimum. And we don't bother going the extra mile or try to work with any kind of excellence. Well, back to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 8. Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. And if they say to us, wait there, we'll come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord will give them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, the Philistines said, the Hebrews are crawling out from the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor-bearer, Come up to us. We'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So they climbed up, using his hands and feet, with his armor-bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor-bearer followed and killed behind him. Mission accomplished. 
Jonathan and the armor bearer's demonstration of courage and action and faith inspired the rest of the Hebrew camp so that in verse 15, the panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. So on that day the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved and beyond, on beyond Beth-Avon. Great story, right? Two men with courage, faith, action, clearly motivated for God's recognition. After all, they left without telling anyone so they weren't trying to get man's recognition. <clears throat> there it is in a nutshell, I guess. The reason we are here. To lift up God's plan of salvation before men, clearly motivated for God's recognition, as we demonstrate courage, faith, and action, while experiencing the hand of God working in our behalf and ultimately redeeming us from sin. What a complete day. What a victory Jonathan and his armor bearer and the Hebrews could have enjoyed. And I said could have because things went south really fast. Too bad the story didn't end there. But if you go down to verse 4... Uh, chapter 14 verse 24 it says now the Israelites were in distress that day because Saul had bound the people under an oath saying cursed be anyone who eats food before evening comes before I have avenged myself on my enemies so none of the troops tasted food now, right away, some red flags should have gone up. Saul orders his fighting men not to eat anything for the whole day. During both world wars, the United States recognized the importance of feeding fighting men. Okay? During World War I, Herbert Hoover, yes, the would-be president, uh, who was later pinned with the doom of the Great Depression, during World War I, he served as head of the U.S. Food Administration and became internationally known for humanitarian relief efforts in wartime. During World War II, rationing was in effect for some foods, especially meats and breads, because the government knew that fighting men need to be fed. Saul should have known this, but instead, he said basically, Nothing to eat till I say so. The entire army, verse 25, entered the woods. And there was honey on the ground. When they went into the woods, they saw the honey oozing out. Yet no one put his hand to his mouth, because they feared the oath. But Jonathan had not heard that his father had bound the people with an oath, so he reached out, 
the end of his staff that was in his hand, dipped it into the honey. He raised his hand to his mouth, and his eyes brightened. In other words, it nourished him. He took nourishment, and it relieved his tired body. Then one of the soldiers told him, Your father bound the army under a strict oath, saying, Cursed be anyone who eats food today. That is why the men are faint. Jonathan said, My father has made trouble for the country. See how my eyes have brightened when I tasted a little honey? How much better it would have been if the men had eaten today some of the plunder they took from the enemies. Would not the slaughter of the Philistines have been greater? Jonathan says, if we had eaten, if they had eaten something, they would have had more strength to make this more of a victory. By putting stipulations, burdens really, on the blessings of redemption from the Philistines, Saul set the stage for at least total disregard of basic health rules by his men. Because in verse 31 it says, That day, after the Israelites had struck down the Philistines, they were exhausted. They pounced on the plunder, and taking sheep and cattle and calves, they butchered them on the ground and ate them together with the blood. Raw. They were so hungry. Then someone said to Saul, Look, the men are sinning against the Lord by eating meat that has blood in it. Saul did something fundamentally wrong, I believe. And if I can find my place, I'll tell you what I think that is. There it is, right there. It happens, folks. Sadly, more and more often. Saul did something fundamentally wrong. In his effort to be the center of attention, he put stipulations on the blessing God was giving. And those stipulations caused the blessing to be less than what God was willing to give. And I look at myself and wonder if I tend to do the same. Cut the arm of the Lord short. Verse 36, Saul said, Let's go down and pursue the Philistines by night and plunder them until dawn. And let us not leave one of them alive. Do whatever you... Do whatever seems best to you, they replied. But the priest, remember the priest? Ahijah? He said, let's inquire of the Lord here. Wait a minute, he said. Let's see what God has to say. So Saul asked God, shall I go down and pursue the Philistines? Will you give them into Israel's hand? But God did not answer him that day. Saul therefore said, Come here, all of you leaders of the army, and let's find out what sin has been committed today. As surely as the Lord who rescues Israel lives, even if the guilt lies with my son Jonathan, he must die. But not one of them said a word. Now there's a lesson in itself. Somebody so eager to gain attention is so quick to blame others if thing doesn't go according to their plan. Funny thing, isn't it? 
we're in an election year. You ever seen that tactic used since, uh, well, moving right along. Verse 40, Saul then said to the Israelites, you stand over there and I and Jonathan, my son, will stand over here. Do what seems best to you, they replied. Last page, folks. You will be out of here before one. <laughs> then Saul prayed to the Lord, the God of Israel. Why have you not answered your son today? If the fruit is in, if the fault is in me or my son Jonathan, respond with Urim. But if the men of Israel are at fault, respond with Thummim. Jonathan and Saul were taken by Lot, and the men were cleared. Saul said, Cast the lot between me and Jonathan, my son. And Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, Tell me what you've done. So Jonathan told him, I tasted a little honey with the end of my staff and now I must die. Saul said, May God deal with me. Be it ever so severely if you do not die, Jonathan. Now here's another lesson. Someone so eager to gain attention is so quick to condemn others if they don't get the plan that they thought they should have. The results of the plan. Verse 45, finally the men speak up with something more than do whatever seems right to you. But the men of, but the men said to Saul, should Jonathan die? He who has brought about this great deliverance in Israel? Never. As surely as the Lord lives, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. For he did this today with God's help. So the men rescued Jonathan and he was not put to death. It is clear that the author saw the victory over the Philistines as a blessing from God. And I think that the author was a bit frustrated that Saul put a stipulation on God's blessing that nearly ruined the day. Fortunately, the men kept Saul from carrying out what he might have done. Lesson one. <clears throat> do what you do for God without boisterous self-exaltation. The armor bearer did just as mighty a work that day as Jonathan. Remember those verses from Matthew 6 about doing the right things in secret. Lesson two, self-exaltation often leads to poor choices, which often, very often, lead to destruction. A little bit of a poem, not the whole thing, just a few lines. The good you do today people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. 
Give the world your best you have, and it may never be enough. Give the world your best you have anyway. You see, in the final analysis, it is between you and God. It never was between you and them anyway. Our closing song is number number Father in heaven, may the things I say be acceptable in your sight. May the things I do be acceptable in your sight. And the thoughts I think. Father, may everything I do be acceptable in your sight. And for your honor and glory, 
and for not not for my self exaltation. Amen. Thank you for your word, for the examples we can live, learn by and live by. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.